0: From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update
1: for Friday, November 13th, 2020.
0: On Fridays, Alicia Bales talks with Mendocino County's public health officer, Dr. Andy Corrin,
1: about the county's response to the pandemic and listeners call in with their questions.
2: So you guys are uh, the most kind of ground zero knowledgeable people about Mendocino County's coronavirus response. I know that every other Friday, the county does a briefing, but uh, we have been doing these uh, half hour updates with uh, the open lines every Friday so that we never miss a week and we get to hear the latest. So Dr. Corrin, if you would go ahead and bring us up to date on how things are going today.
3: Well, our... Case rate, unfortunately, has gone up quite a bit. Um, We have, we're still, according to the numbers from the state, we're still in the red tier, but we have increased our numbers that we know of so that it's uh, we're heading upward. And part of the problem with that is that the uh, testing facilities had problems with their testing in the early part of the month when they went live. And we just got a data dump a few days ago, so sort of shocked us and brought us back to probably a little more reality, a little more reality than we wanted. (laughs) And it kept our contact investigators and tracers pretty busy, but they have a crack team and they got their hands around it. And so we're doing a little better. Um, We did have another death, uh, so we're up to 22. There are more people in the hospital, as happens when there are more cases, and one in the ICU at this point. Uh, So as far as uh, as far as the data, that's as much as I can share with you. Um, testing has been interesting. I don't know if you want me to just go on and on and then let people ask yeah, questions. Yeah,
2: let's, let's get your uh, sort of update, and then I'll, I'll ask you the few questions that I have for you. All right.
3: Well, I'm sure it's been an issue, you know, for the last few weeks. Uh, UCSF <clears throat> pulled out of, uh, you know, they ended sending us free tests, and that just ended this week and the last tests have been used up Um, and we were very concerned about that but we did hear this week that our application to OptumServe for continuing the site at the fairground has continued they've accepted that and they have also accepted uh, our application for a travel team which means that uh, we'll have another team that can go around the county Uh, and be available for people you know that are far away from Ukiah and would take a long time to get here we had another we have another application in but the uh, Perkin Elmer has not really uh, matured that uh, to the point where they're approving it as I understand it for anybody yet and that was where they would send us a lot of tests and we could actually distribute them to our clinics or to other partners uh, if we wanted to. And they were a very attractive test because it didn't require a uh, person with a degree, uh, like an RN or a a LVN or somebody like that, to do the testing. It was actually, you could swab under supervision of somebody else. So I'm kind of interested to hear because that would be great um, to have available to some of our other sites. Um, We were also approved this week for uh, receiving in our county, uh, some of the first uh, monoclonal antibody uh, treatments. And that is different than the remdesivir that the hospital is using for people who are hospitalized. Um, It's the kind of treatment that for someone who's high risk and comes with uh, COVID, uh, but is not requiring oxygen, is not sick enough to be in the hospital, uh, a infusion of this medicine uh, can greatly improve their course and probably obviate the need to be admitted and get the other care however, it's distributed in very low numbers so far so we got I think it was seven vials in the county and uh, and we'll need to figure out you know how to distribute those and uh, and then the it'll be in the hospital because it's have to be an infusion so it'll probably, I don't want to second guess what the hospitals will do, but it'll probably be in the emergency rooms that they'll do this. And um, that'll be a short, you know, a visit for an hour and a half, two hours, something like that to get it. An infusion, that means like an IV. It's an intravenous infusion, that's correct. So, you know, we could imagine that if they can boost up the numbers, uh, then that would be a very important treatment and may in the midterm get the vaccines may be a real lifesaver for many people so that's exciting uh something new and uh i'll try and pronounce it it's bam bamlamiv lamivimab
2: yeah i saw that word on yeah. i saw that word somewhere and thought uh, this isn't a word that is speakable
3: yeah, right but well, it's a lot of these a lot of these new uh monoclonal uh antibodies they really directed toward a certain spot that they can they can influence And then last but not least is we're uh, beginning uh, the discussions uh, at the state level and at the county level of uh, uh, real plans for vaccines. So there are several in the pipelines. None have been approved. The Pfizer vaccine is probably the first one up at bat. And they're betting, I'm not betting, but they're betting that they'll have it out uh, before the first of the year. most of us realize that that's very optimistic. will send us seven doses. What's that? No, send us seven doses. Actually, that's one of the problems: is the distribution of it will be in one thousand dose lots. And to make matters more interesting, it has to be kept at eighty degrees below zero centigrade. That's pretty chilly. That's
2: really cold.
3: Yeah, so there are specialized refrigerators that can do that, and with dry ice, it's doable. But you can only open those boxes a limited number of times before it's spoiled, and you can only keep you can from the first time you open it, uh, you have a short number of days that it'll survive. So, it's a very delicate product, and as time goes on, we'll probably develop uh, better, you know, easier modes to distribute it. But remember, we're at breakneck speed, warp speed what they call it and uh, uh, the the um, the telescoping down or the you know uh, of the amount of time it usually takes to develop a vaccine is just really incredible Um, so there's issues about safety and efficacy uh, as well as distribution and um, because Uh, There has been enough concern at the federal level, even after the FDA approves it, the California Department has already been four uh, sort of gold star committees made up of people who have been doing vaccinology and working at the federal level and so on for years, who will re-review the data and be able to make it a little bit more transparent to us what's going on with it. Uh, and they have other committees devoted to looking at how it will be distributed equitably, how we'll uh, make sure that everybody understands what it is, and and uh, and uh, and then also how best to distribute it because there's a lot of bumps along the way. So California is doing its its usual uh, uh, usual preparedness, which is excellent, and we're going to be part of that.
2: Is it something like, um, what kind of models of distribution are you talking about? Something like a lottery or people s- oh, no, signing no, no. up?
3: Or- so we'll get a batch from the federal government. And then there's a distribution program that initially will focus on uh, healthcare care workers and, and emergency uh, responders. So that the people who give it out can continue giving it out. And uh, nursing homes would be another target initially.
2: So they'll prioritize. They're they're going to target different groups
3: of people um, that in, in a sensible and ethical way.
2: Got it. And those you saying those conversations are going to be transparent and, and something that we can yeah. all sort of oh, yeah, yeah. know what how they're making those decisions and, and what their priorities are. Um, right. listen, I have before we open up the phone lines. There's something else that I really want to ask about, which is uh, the plans to reopen schools. I know that there was a long meeting last night at Ukiah Unified School District. Their their board met last night. It was a public meeting. Uh, with the cases that came down yesterday, um, our case count now uh, is in the purple again. And I and I know that yesterday was our deadline, right, to be in, in the, the red zone. We were supposed to be in the red zone for two weeks. And yesterday we got 27 reported new cases. So I'm just wondering about, uh, did we kind of fail the two weeks? Are our schools going to continue to be able to plan to reopen or are we going to be back in the purple?
3: No, remember that it's not every week that it's measured. There's a week lag time just to make sure all the results get in. Um, and then uh, they don't measure. They measure two weeks at a time. So the most recent of those two weeks will be a week ago. And so we're in the red, but we may qualify for a purple tier data. But we would need to be in the purple tier for two whole weeks. And then they would talk about turning this back. Oh, I now, see. Is that, is that clear? Have I said that clear enough? Yeah. yeah. So um, they could say, well, y'all are purple. But at this point, we're in the red tier. We're not doing well with our statistics, with our cases. Let's not just reduce it to cases or statistics. It's real people that are getting much more sick. And it's because we've, the challenges we've been talking about for weeks. Um, we have cold weather. And it turns out that from a scientific research point of view, the virus survives and suspends in air even more effectively in the cool weather than it did in the warm weather. So it's it's a big threat that we're going into in the cold season. We have the flu season, and we've already had actually an early uh, uh, flu season breaking out. Um, and um, uh, the other things are, of course, we have the holidays coming up. We did have Halloween, I suspect Halloween get that added to our recent. In, um, the timing is right. But the other thing is, we now have Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And uh, so this is a treacherous time for us in terms of everybody having a fun holiday week. So we are recommending that if people want to enjoy the holidays but they really look closely at getting gathering first of all the gatherings guidance is out there but um, we're not pushing that people get together if they're in a higher risk group they should really look at that if they're elderly they don't want to invite their uh younger family over family members over even with the grandkids who may bring them an infection that could cause some very severe damage so Look at who's coming over or if you're traveling and going somewhere.
2: Okay, let's go Look back to the, the 27 cases. Uh, I really want to hear about how this affects our status and what it's going to mean for people. Um, I know I know, you want to talk about the holidays and, and that stuff, and let's get to it, and I'm sure people have questions about it. Sure. But uh, 27 cases locally is a lot when we've felt like in the last few weeks we've been doing quite well. Uh, we've had under 10 cases a day, and we felt, you know, Like We'd we'd accomplished it. Of course, yesterday, 157,000 new cases were uh, diagnosed nationwide. We broke, we smashed the record. We've just been leaping exponentially upward in the national numbers. And it just feels like there's no way Mendocino County can hunker down here in our little bubble and and not be affected by those numbers. So I I wonder... um, Where are those cases coming from? Uh, If you can tell us, Becky, with your uh, contact tracing and and investigation, are they, we did open up uh, somewhat because we came into the red tier and we were able to loosen some of the, some of the restrictions. So are any of these cases coming from restaurants or gyms or workplaces or, or gatherings? Can you, can you talk about that?
0: You know, primarily our stuff is showing that these cases, because you're right, there was 28 cases yesterday, uh, we've had 75 cases in the week of November 1st to November 7th and we are seeing uh, uh, most of them are spread from uh, known individuals that they are having contact with, um, be it um, very quick contacts, uh, a quick lunch, uh, people at home, um, family members, it, it's close knit spread when we're talking about those spread levels Uh, as far as where the the individuals are contracting uh, COVID from. It's from, you know, those types of situations. Uh, I can't say that they're, you know, restaurants or work, but certainly they're known sources most of these cases.
2: Okay, so because one of the concerns was that restaurants opened back up for indoor Indoor uh dining and I you know if we if we loosen things up and then we see the case numbers go up, it's you know, it's kind of interesting to to figure out is is there a cause and effect relationship there.
3: We know that dining in restaurants is higher risk. But saying that our statistics have gone up and it's directly related to that, in other words, cause and effect, that's a jump in terms of the logic. So you can make that jump uh but it it may or may not help us The issue is if we go into into the purple tier then we are all going to be hunkered down again and not eating indoors drinking indoors and doing all the things we like to do indoors during the coldest of the season so it's it's a trouble
2: yeah well and I never heard the thing you just said about um the actually the, the virus is kind of more robust in the cold weather that's a new one that's a new you know, one it's not just well, that we're gathering inside it's that the virus spreads more easily
3: right. Wow. He, Influenza, of course, we think it goes around and around because people are indoors, and that's true of COVID as well. Uh, but what I had read uh, earlier this week is that actually with the increased humidity and the decreased temperature, uh, it's better for the life of the virus. Wow.
2: Wow. Well, it's just a perfect a Double storm. whammy. Yeah, really. Okay, well, let's, as promised, let's open up the phone lines. I'm sure, uh, sure. more listeners have questions, and we've got one caller calling in. Uh, go ahead, caller. You are live on the air.
1: Hello.
2: Alicia, this is Edie Morris.
4: Hi, Edie. Hi, Edie. <laughs> Hi, Alicia. Well, I have a terrible story to tell, unfortunately. I've been listening to your program for months, and I appreciate it so much. And it was always kind of remote. I knew I had to be careful. I couldn't work at the school site because I have a, an underlying condition. Well, I got a call Saturday. My sister was taken to the hospital after several weeks of suffering with COVID. She was on a respirator and we took her off two nights ago. The only way they could have even possibly saved her life would have been to amputate her from the knees down and take off some of her fingers. And she was a wonderful singer and guitar player very talented person and a lovely person. So she is now with her Lord in heaven. And it was a horrible, horrible trip. I know she's peaceful now, but nobody deserves to have to go through this. We have to take this seriously. She was at a gathering of people who believed that God would protect them. And um, she's gone.
2: I'm so sorry to hear that, Edie.
4: Yes. <laughs> we it's, all are. It's, uh,
2: all right, so do take care. And Edie, where to. where, where was she? Where did she live? She
4: had she had a show business career, but she, she eventually moved to Arkansas and um, got very involved with a the church there and uh, kept singing. She, she, um Well, she has a, quite a history. She had the original lead as Sheila in Hair when it opened on Broadway, so a lot of people know yeah. her from that. She sang Easy to be Hard on the cast album. She did a lot of TV shows, including... I think 13 or 14 appearances on Johnny Carson. She did Mission Impossible. She did a movie with Elvis Presley. Quite an impressive career, and uh, she will be remembered. She will be written up in the New York Times and Associated Press, and a lot of things will be happening. But I just wanted people here to know that um, this is not a game. I have. It turns out she didn't know, but she has the same CLL cancer that I do, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, which means that the same fate would probably befall me if I were to contact COVID. So I'm now living in this this, um, bubble.
2: Yeah. Well, be safe, Edie, please, and our hearts go out to you and your family. I'm so sorry to hear that.
4: Thank you. Thank you, Alicia, and thank you for all you're doing and and all the doctors that have helped out, too. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. All right. Bye-bye, Edie. And Alicia, I can just say it's so important that people stay safe. You know I was looking at our numbers and, and really and truly, of the 28 cases, um, nine of them were close contacts that had turned into a case.
2: Well, and when you're talking about the holidays, Dr. Corin, and asking people to to think about whether or not they want to put themselves in that position, um, it seems like if you if they were your individual patient, what advice would you give people?
3: i would give them the same advice. I think if people have a higher risk, they should really think twice about whether they want to be with their grandchild. This may not be the time to do that. Okay. Uh, or do you want to bring your grandchild to visit, you know, bring bring your child to visit your grandma or somebody who's in their seventies or eighties, somebody who has heart disease. These are the things that people really need to think about, um, and as the previous caller mentioned, Edie, I think said, this is a terrible disease. It's true that there's a lot of people who get it and don't have some of the severe consequences. That's true of all diseases. The ones who have the severe consequences suffer terribly with this illness. And it goes on and on for a very long time in most cases. And for the ones who recover, there's now uncovering a chronic disease, many chronic consequences that go on for months. Do you think, and, I know um, that
2: people really, really want to get together for Thanksgiving. Some people just yeah. really want to. So when you so tell those people, think twice about it, um, do you think that that's a strong enough admonition? Or do you think that you should just tell people, just don't do it? Just don't do
3: it. <laughs> don't get together now, for my Thanksgiving. My advice would be don't do it. But, but that's advice. It's not an order. And people do have to make their own decisions. It's a free country. Or do it differently. Do it differently. Do it differently. Yeah, so so one of the things that can be done, (laughs) suggestion, and there are many other creative suggestions out there, is get your own home, your household, family together, and put the computer at one end of the table and have a Zoom dinner. You know, so you have it together. And I'm sure there's a lot of other ways that people can do it. Singing together over the Zoom and not exposing, you know, the people in the family who are sick and at very high risk. Yeah. That's what we'd like to see. We don't want
2: to hear more of these heartbreaking stories of people losing family members. They're all heartbreaking. Yep. All right, let's take our next call. Good afternoon, Collie. You're live on the air.
1: Hi, my name is Amy. Hi, and I want to thank you also for this program. It's been very informative, and I listen to every single program. I did want to call about an experience that I had at Adventist Health on Tuesday. I had a um, standard uh, checkup and then I needed to go back for a follow-up. And when I did the checkup, it wasn't at a vendor's health, but the follow-up was, because I had to use um, ultrasound. And I got there, the I was very uncomfortable because there were a lot of people in the waiting room. I felt the processes, put me at risk. Um, I'm really concerned about our health center not taking the steps that are advised for the public. So one of the things I can tell you, the line was very long. I had to wait in line more than 15 minutes to get to the front. They had already called to get my financial information. Then I was called back. I said, I'm not gonna wait in the waiting room, which was completely full. People were sitting side by side, way more than 25 people in there. I said, I'll wait outside. They came and got me for billing. All they wanted was my signature. I think there could be a better process to get your signature because they already had my billing from the previous appointment. Then I had, they told me to go sit in the waiting room again. I said, no, I'm not. It's way too busy here. I'm very uncomfortable, so I waited out in the parking lot. And they said, "No, we, you need to wait in the parking in the waiting room." I said, "No, I'm not." So, can you speak on that? Okay,
2: thanks for that caller.
3: Well, that's completely okay. Not, that's not the kind of experience that we want people to have. Um, it. You know, the, the, uh, all the indoor facilities, and I'm presuming this was indoors, uh, should be, should be um, you know, spaced out with lower occupancy, lots of ventilation, everybody should be wearing masks. You know all the advice that we've given, but I, I hear that you felt that you were all crammed in. The line should have been spaced. You know, everybody knows what six feet is so that they're far enough away Um, But if you are uncomfortable, my general advice would be to write a letter uh, to Adventist Health and tell them what your experience is, just like you said today on the radio. I'm sure there's a hundred other people who are feeling the same way and they're not writing it up so that the hospital doesn't realize what they really need to do and it is a necessity. So that would be good for you as just a member of the community to tell them, I think they would value that.
2: All right. Thanks for that. You ready for another call? Okay. Oops, I lost him. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air.
5: Hello. Uh, I wanted to ask a question about the possibilities of uh, having an early closing on certain facilities uh, as the weather turns and our holiday season comes up. And it's pretty clear that most people are not going to self-stay-at-home uh, uh, stay at home, uh self uh, what do you call it self
3: quarantine
5: yes well self quarantine for 14 days when they go here and they go there i just see like kind of like a rush of of uh exposure over the next six weeks that could be possibly avoided and actually end up being a a shorter term period for all of the businesses and people involved what do you think of that thought
3: it's a good thought (laughs) um it may not be up to us to do it the state might uh, might take the initiative as the numbers as the numbers develop and we're really sure we're heading in that direction it is one of the considerations that i will make
5: okay and then it, it, it's also uh, something that uh people who are uh in the position to Uh, do that on their own personal facilities would maybe be well advised to consider carefully. Now while everybody's healthy and moving forward and and their staff is still in good condition and ready to work.
3: Yeah. So one of the things that um, I uh, heard, it was on a call with a number of businesses and chamber of commerce, they were talking about this, understanding what the problems are of people eating outdoors and, and the rainy weather coming, and so on, and they started to throw around some very creative ideas, and uh, that included uh, beefing up their to-go meal preparation, and uh, improving the you know the, those uh, parking spaces you can have where it's for pickup only, and improving that within the city. So we need to understand that there's a wave of this terrible pandemic building and growing, and we need to avoid it in whatever ways we can. And I have certain tools in in my tool shed toolbox. Uh, but creativity, there's nothing that beats creativity. So if you've got ideas or if other people have ideas, they should think about it and let's have at it. Let's do it as a community.
2: All right. Thank you for that.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. and I'm glad we have a chance to kind of have this half hour as a community to have a conversation about it. So let's take one more call while we're at it. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. Thanks
4: for taking my call. Two quick questions. Um, I'd like to know the distribution of these 28 new cases throughout the county, where they were. And um, then my next question has to do with how about um, grocery shopping, going into stores, what, um, uh, and I'm specific about, about getting food um, at this point. Um, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on, on that, Dr.
3: Corrin. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for the questions so the distribution of where this happened in the county i don't know if we have that data run you do becky you're on
0: <laughs> so as to distribution we had uh, all but one of those cases was in the ukiah area and that one case is on the north coast
2: okay and you and said that, as that as was a lot shopping? of um, close contacts those cases were close contacts yeah. from people who knew each other well the-
0: Many of the cases were close contacts, yes. Okay. Cool. So grocery
3: shopping uh, is a necessity. People got to eat. They got to shop for what they eat. However, there are some, there are some recommendations. Uh, make sure you're masked up and you're keeping your distance. Uh, the grocery stores, as well as other stores, are operating at a lower than maximal capacity. So there should be plenty of room to move around within the store, maintaining six feet from other people. Um, if you can try to consolidate the shopping, so you're not going three, four times a week, but maybe once a week, and even maybe less than that, if you can, if you can manage that. Uh, so you're exposing yourself less, um, a lot of discussion about washing off the fruit boxes and bags instead of plastic um, bags and so on and so forth. While those are good pieces of advice, they're less important at this point in our understanding than using the masks and maintaining six foot of distance and that also uh involves six feet of distance where it's the most difficult to maintain that is with the checkers so the checkers are in a lot of uh, in a higher risk position and uh, you'll see them wearing masks and uh, face shield a lot of times and sometimes a uh, clear plastic uh, divider and I, I think You know, that can put people off. But remember, you're protecting each other by by doing those things. So we can't avoid grocery shopping. We can try and do it as safely as possible.
2: All right. Appreciate that call, caller. Now, the phone lines are still lighting up. Do you have time for one or two more or do we need to finish up? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air.
6: Uh, Yes. Uh, Thank you again for your show and all your guests and all the callers in, and blessings to those who have lost their loved ones. Um, I was just uh, looking at the total population of Mendocino County is 86,749. We currently have a total tested positive of 12. Uh, 1,269, so that basically means that one person in 68 has been infected with COVID in Mendocino County. Um, Of that, one in 57 have died. So I think it's really clear to break it down to those kind of like really clear words for people to take it seriously rather than using percentages and this and this and this and that. It's like one in 57 that have been infected have died in Mendocino County. Every 68 people you see out there, one of them has COVID and is possibly contagious. So wearing masks is a necessity, Um, and I just... We're doing better than the rest of the country. You've been listening um, to the local you know, coronavirus update from Z, right Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, in Philo, Mars.
0: California. So
6: we really to hear this program this live, live tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3, 3 p.m. Pacific yeah, Time to KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, with the
0: at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at
6: 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member that we all want to get together for the holidays but we need to take this seriously because this is the greatest threat that we have um you know we're all listening to media about trump and and our elections but this is the pertinent thing that we all need to pay attention to and i'd like to bring something up which is we need to be paying attention to the money that we're handling and taking from the checkers and the registers because that is been shown to be a transferable of the virus. No one's talking about the transference of, of coins and of paper. We're taking that and putting it in our wallets and then taking it out and putting it somewhere else, and we're not taking that into account. Uh, thank you for your time. I'll listen to whatever you have to
3: say on the air. All right. Thanks, caller. Well, thank you for calling in for one thing. I really appreciate the uh, suggestions you've made about messaging. It is important for people to understand what this means. And it's, you know, this, this is a a very deadly process. And sometimes people, you know, just take it for granted. Um, you, you may not, you've known people who've passed away, but many people don't, but understanding that one in 68 people in our County are are, have already gotten sick and that of those, uh, uh, one out of almost 60 have have passed away and that's important um the uh the issue that you've raised about passing money uh objects have and passing things through objects have been uh it, it's clearly a possibility there's no question about it but it's less important with this virus than passing it through the respiratory route or you know from the air into the into the uh, eye, the conjunctive, and so on, where it can enter the body. So, although it's true the the virus may live on these surfaces and may even, you know, infect some people, it's much less of an issue uh, from a public health point of view uh, as it's played out. So that's one of the one of the things that we always look at: is well, how does this pass around? And um, and that is that is a way, but it's not as important as keeping distance, using your mask. And also washing hands, washing hands frequently, using those uh, those cleansers that are approved, the the um, alcoholic um, hand uh, uh, conditioners and, and washes, and so on. So thank you very much for for pointing these these concerns out.
2: All right, and I think that's going to do it for the open lines Q and A portion of the show. Anything else that you want to leave the listeners with today in terms of? Um, Looking back at this week and what's happened this week or looking forward over the next week or two?
3: Well, we're seeing a huge rise, big surge in cases all over the world and in the northern hemisphere, the United States and in California. So this is going to be a troublesome season. Uh, We want people to be very careful because of that, try to reduce their exposure. Uh, And in particular, with the holidays coming up, it's a heart wrenching thing to not see our families, to not have traditional Thanksgiving or Christmas dinners or, you know, New Year's Eve parties, but plan ahead. It's also tragic to not be able to have that with someone you love next year. So give that some thought.
2: All right. Dr. Andy Corin, Mendocino County's Public Health Officer, thank you for your tireless work on the COVID response for Mendocino County. And Becky Emery, likewise, Department Operations Center Manager, thanks for bringing the numbers and giving us a real specific idea of what's happening here in Mendocino County. Thanks to you both. And thank you for listening, all of you callers who called in, all of you listeners who uh, are stalwarts of the local coronavirus update. Thank you for continuing to be here with us. Uh, my name is Alicia Bales, in here on uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with this local coronavirus update, just to make sure that you have access to good information and that you also um, have a good sense of how the county is responding. So, can't thank you guys enough for, for doing this every Friday. Take care. And we're going to head now to the TED Radio Hour. It is in progress. There's about 22 minutes left. Keep in mind, we are in our flash drive. So if you appreciate this programming and you want to pitch in some money to make sure that we can keep doing this kind of uh, coronavirus coverage and covering all of the important breaking events, the breaking news here in the county, it's easy to support KZYX. You just go to your phone. And you dial 895-2233 and you can uh, become a member or make a donation at any level. We've got thank you gifts to sweeten the deal, um, especially in honor of our coronavirus update. We have uh, 100% organic cotton face masks. They have a nose piece and adjustable Ear loops and they're hypo, hypo, hypoallergenic and comfortable, um, so you can pick one of those up for a $35 donation. But there's a few goodies out there that you can you can check out. You can also become a member at our website kzyx.org. There is a a button on the homepage, a donate button. You can just click on that. It'll take you through a very brief uh, form where you can enter your payment information and your name and your email, and and that'll do it. And we are on our way to a $120,000 goal. That's what we determined that we needed to get through uh, the budget for the next six months. So we're here asking you to help us pay for this amazing community service. We are right now at $83,352 after uh, Selector J's Redwood Soul Shakedown and the wonderful showing of support for that show. Uh, And we have... Thirty-six thousand six hundred and forty-eight dollars to go. That seems within reach. That seems doable. We've got the rest of today, all of Saturday, and all of Sunday. But of course, this is a flash drive, which means uh, it's kind of a a pun on uh, the fact that we're doing this quickly. Uh, that we've been in a quiet drive for the last two months, with just kind of people, um, you know, once in a while, every hour or two, asking you for support and reminding you to to send in a donation or a membership. Uh, and we've been kind of doing it on, on the low-key side of things. Ordinarily, public radio stations will have a big kind of carnival-like pledge drive that lasts 10 or 11 days. But we've been doing it sort of quietly. Thanks to COVID, we can't get together and do that, that regular sort of traditional pledge drive here at the radio station. So we've been asking quietly for the last two months, and you sure have shown up, 757 of you so far in this drive. And in the last five days of the drive, we're calling it the flash drive. We're just going to come here for five days and ask you to support the radio station and bring us up over that $120,000 goal. So we are well on our way. I think it's within reach. Uh, we just need to hear from you. That's 895 22 3 KZYX. This has been Alicia Bales with the local coronavirus update. I will be back with you on Monday with Dr. Drew Colfax and more coronavirus latest news and your time for your questions. And now let's
3: tune into the TED Radio Hour in Progress. Thank you so much for listening.